do design decisions involve value judgments? Andy Halliwell has gone and posted this question on LinkedIn as part of our redesigning D&T project and debates. I think this is a really tricky one to answer and our expert group felt that it was an important question that needed debating. Do design decisions involve value judgments? I think firstly, I'd be saying, what do you mean by a value judgment, a values judgment? And maybe in your response to Andy's question, you'll explore what you understand and what your views are of what value judgments are and then whether they actually impinge on or affect the design decisions that designers make and also that children make in D&T lessons. So do join the debate. We're always open to conversation and discussion on this. But for now, on to the next episode. This is the Talking D&T podcast, episode 60. Welcome to the Talking D&T podcast with me, Alison Hardy, a podcast for anybody interested in design and technology education, where I'll be sharing news, views, ideas and opinions about D&T. I've been talking quite a bit recently to school leaders about curriculum and curriculum planning and design and technology. Um, I enjoy those conversations, particularly with school leaders who don't have a background in design and technology, talking about what curriculum is in D&T and what it might look like. But it got me to thinking about what do we mean by curriculum for design and technology? Um, what does it look like? Has experienced? How do teachers plan it? So I thought in this podcast, I'd talk about some different ways we can think about curriculum. Now, I'm not going to cover all of the different ways we can think about curriculum. But during this podcast, I will talk a little bit about a couple of books where you can find some more information if you're interested to read about curriculum. So often when we think about curriculum and design and technology, we might think about the schemes of work that we plan, the long-term plans, the medium-term plans, the, the documentation that we produce to show what we're going to teach and when we're going to teach it, and how all of those different units of work fit together. And I remember being a head of department and class teacher and spending quite a lot of time on thinking about who, how the different things that I was wanting to teach and I wanted the children to experience and have an opportunity to do, how they all interlocked and fitted together. <clears throat> I'd think about what went where, what the progression was, and, and so on. But that part of curriculum planning and thinking about curriculum is the planned documents, the, the planning of the curriculum. There's something that goes on before that, which we might call the official curriculum. And if you're in England, you might see that the official curriculum is the national curriculum for key stages one, two and three. So for primary, lower secondary. And then for upper secondary, for key stage four, we might think about that as being the GCSE specifications or other exam specifications. They're the documents that that guide us into thinking about what we're going to plan for our teaching and then what we actually teach. So that's only two different ways we can think about curriculum. <clears throat> Excuse me, I've got a bit of a cold at the moment. But we might plan curriculum. We might write, I mean, some of my documents, I have to say, were absolutely beautiful. Um, 
sometimes I can think back and think, I'm sure I spend sometimes more time thinking about the layout of this document than the content of the document. But I was always interested in how the different elements uh, built up together, how they built on what had happened before, how they prepare for what might happen in the future, and what the point of the learning was at that moment in time in that unit and work. So that's the planning. But then we'd start teaching. And and what I did in the classroom was very often quite different to what I planned. Um, people like Stephen Ball and Meg Maguire have, have written about this idea of enacting the curriculum. And that's where we take it from an official curriculum to what we do in the classroom, that, that enactment process of taking it into practice in the classroom. And talk about the fact that there's lots of things that impact on that in the classroom and about what what is taught. And so in design and technology, some of the things that would affect what I was doing in the classroom and, and may well affect many of you and may resonate and there might be other things that affect what you do in the classroom. Well, an obvious one was about resourcing. What did what did we have available? Um, I might plan a curriculum over the summer or, you know, previously in the academic year with other colleagues and we might have had resources then. Um, but as budgets change, the, the amount of money we had available would change um, and what, what we could do. So all of these things affect and limit and change what we enact and what we deliver in the classroom, what we teach. It can be affected by the time of the day, um, what what you've what lesson you've come from and what you're going to do. But you know how much if if you're moving around classrooms in design and technology and you're teaching uh, lessons that are heavily resource heavy, moving those resources around or having them pre-prepared in the classroom can can really affect how you interpret what you've planned into what actually you do in the classroom. And I think we have to be realistic about that. And then you get in the classroom and, and lo and behold, you're faced with a whole group of children. And you might have an idea about what you're going to teach and you might teach something, but you can't guarantee they're always going to take it on board the way you planned to do it. So... We might call that aspect of it, and and Kelly uh, calls it in his book about curriculum theory and practice. He calls that the received curriculum. You know, we can't can't guarantee that the children will receive and accept the curriculum in the way we intended. And again, things affect them, um, their perceptions about the subject, what they believe to be the point of the activity or the learning that they're doing in the lesson, um, how they feel comfortable about doing it. Again, times of the day might affect how they respond. So so those are kind of the layers of what we think about, about curriculum within design and technology, and actually any school subject, but I'm obviously talking about D&T here. I think, for me, the things that underpins much of that and the way we take the official, we think about how we're going to plan it, we prioritise different parts of the official curriculum, then we teach things in the classroom that we have to compete with other things that might want to take priority about what we do in the classroom. And then we have the children who might receive the curriculum in a way that we didn't intend but is right for them. And for me the thing that underpins all of that is values. Now I do my research about what people say the value of D&T is and I think that affects very directly 
what teachers take from the official curriculum. I think it really affects what goes into the official curriculum. I was in the room working with the groups that were writing the 2012-2013 curriculum. Um, and and you can you could hear as people were talking what they valued, what they thought was important, what they thought the purpose of DNT was. And so that affected that official document that many teachers now use to plan. And then it has to go through another cycle of values, values about design and technology. But when you're planning, you don't just have values about the subject. You have values about what you believe education is for. You have might have competing values if you've got other roles in the school that may well be pastoral and um, that you think about beyond your subject. And then when you get into the classroom, the children bring their own values of the subject and values of education and values of other things that are happening around them day to day that affect and impact on what they receive and how they engage with and are motivated by what happens in the classroom. So when we start to think about curriculum planning, it's not as straightforward as let's get the national curriculum out or let's get the exam specification out. There are all these other factors that some of them were aware of and some of them were not. But there's one final aspect to curriculum that I think also has a significant impact on design and technology. And that's the hidden curriculum. The things that are unwritten, um, that impact on what we teach, what we plan and what children receive and also about how others perceive things about our curriculum. So for me in design and technology, some of the things that are hidden that children learn or that um, represent what happens in a subject are things like about the location of the DT department. Now I think about the four or five schools that I taught in and where the DT department was located and schools I visited. And one of the final schools that I taught in, the DT department was at the back of the school. Now there's all sorts of logistical reasons why that happens about deliveries and, and so on. But it does say something about the prioritisation of the subject if it's at the back of the school. The first school I taught in, the department was at the front of the school. You had to walk past the DT departments. In fact, you walk between the DT department and the science department to get into uh, the, gets the reception. And that sends a different message about what the subject is and its, its priority in the curriculum. Now, you can't change that necessarily, but I think having an awareness of that would... Um, be interesting for you to think about about where your department is located. I also think there's hidden curriculum and hidden values about the subject. When we ask children for contributions, uh, financial contributions from family, and, we, and I understand the the reasons why those happen. I, I've I've done it in my own teaching when I was teaching in secondary schools. I, I look back with some discomfort about some of it because I do think about what we're implying about the subject that children have to. See, I use that word have to, even though we're not allowed to talk about you have to contribute because it is a contribution. But we do put barriers and parameters up and, and there's all sorts of reasons about budgets and so on. But I think it's worth having those discussions with senior leaders about what's the messages that we're sending out, the values that we're sending out when we ask 
children to bring in a contribution towards materials. It's the same with food. Um, I, I often struggle with children bringing in food for taking part in practicals and they're not being able to take part. And I know schools work really hard to address that. But it is the, the hidden value that we, the values that we, we have that are implied by that. And I'm not asking or suggesting that class teachers can solve that or fix that. But I think it is healthy to have those discussions and to have those discussions with senior leaders about what does that say? What's the values that we're implying about the subject when we ask for that? Something that I talk about student teachers to is about what they wear in the classroom. And I think I think that sends out particular messages. I remember um, when I first started teaching in 1992 and uh, over the next few years, me and my head of department went to a number of CPD courses. I, I can't remember the name of the guy who led them, but they were really good. And and he talked about um, the profile of DNT teachers, how we tend to in breaks, stay in the department rather than going to the staff room for coffee. Now, there's there's reasons for that. You know, we're getting ready for the next class. We're getting materials out. We're getting resources out. We're tidying up from the previous lesson with the best one in the world. It doesn't always end tidily before break. But by staying within our departments, we're not necessarily participating in the whole school conversation and some of those things that are happening in the classroom. So so we made a concerted effort in our department that, that at least one of us every day would go over to the staff room and, and, and get a coffee to kind of give that prior that visibility to us as a team, to other colleagues in the school. And we would also try when we went over to not wear our overalls that we'd been wearing in the workshops or the, the food or the textile spaces. Um, because again, that sent out particular messages. And, you know, when I was at university, we were expected to wear white lab coats in the workshops. But again, that, that sends out a particular message about, you know, what what the nature of the subject is. In fact, I ended up wearing a fisherman's smock as my overalls in the classroom. I talk to student teachers about, you know, if you're teaching food and you wear um, uh, an apron that's calf kits, and what does that say that you're saying about the subject? Now, that might be right for you about that you're, to me, the implicit message there is about that this is a, a subject for home and for um, supporting your life at home in terms of looking after yourself in terms of cooking and and that might be perfectly valid for people but but we need to think about what those messages are because that might not be the right message that the children need to receive about your subject so so things like that about what we wear is affects the the hidden curriculum i also think the environment uh the colors of the wall um, the posters, and I, I see a lot of work from D&T departments, some excellent work from D&T departments about, about environment. But I think we have to look at it from the perspective of the children and what the messages are that we're saying by the posters, the colours, the displays, the representations. I did a podcast um, last year, I think it was, about D&T icons and who's your icon, and I, I mentioned at that time that Henry Maudsley was my icon. And I was able to articulate why um, and, and talk about, about why that was. Um, and and some teachers started to share their wall displays of different icons. 
And I looked at some of those images and they were predominantly white and male. And I think, what's the hidden curriculum or the, the hidden learning that you're giving there about design and technology with that? That does that reflect and invite in uh, the children that you're teaching? So all of those things, not just the curriculum that we plan, the curriculum that we teach and deliver, all of those things beyond that affect how the curriculum is received and perceived by the children that are taught and those who we need to influence about the value and the purpose of design and technology. Anyway, hopefully that's some food for thought. I've talked about some of my different perspectives. Um, I'm quite happy for you to disagree, agree or otherwise. I'll put some uh, additional reading in the show notes if you're interested in reading some more about curriculum. Let me know about what you thought about and any of your ideas about what curriculum means for you in design and technology. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Talking DT podcast with me, Alison Hardy. You can connect with me on Twitter at Hardy underscore Allison. Show notes and transcripts for each podcast episode can be found on my website, alisonhardy.work. Thanks for listening.